From the beginning, I had made a decision that I did not want to have advertising on my podcast. Mm. And I wanted to be free of that. So I was like, I just want to help people. Like, how can I help as many people as possible? And so I started offering workshops. And even just talking about workshops, people got really excited about that. And I explain it as like, the sustainable price means that this workshop is going to be paid for. The gratitude price Mm. means that you recognize I give so much away for free, and you would like to say thank you and help me expand this workshop. And the minimum price is like, you just have to show up. I've also discovered that people often, if it's free, don't show up. Hello, you're listening to Podcast Growth Hacks, where I talk to podcasters of all experience levels to unpack the most powerful growth tactics they used to grow their podcast. I'm Pat Chung. And if you're a podcaster, well then subscribe so that together we can all learn and experiment with how to grow our own podcasts. Today, we are chatting with Sienna Stewart, the host of Dying Kindness, which is a podcast about a pretty heavy subject, death. She's been doing this podcast since July 2021, with over 37 episodes produced. Sienna has been fascinated by death from a young age, perhaps from growing up next to a cemetery. And since then, she's been exposed to it quite a bit, which we'll dive into in this interview. I first met Sienna at Podcast Movement and immediately became fascinated about her podcast, along with all the other things she does in life. Welcome to the show, Sienna. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. Glad to be here. All right. Awesome. Well, today I want to learn all your podcast growth tips. But first, your podcast about death. It's a pretty heavy subject, but I loved your tagline, a podcast for people who are going to die someday. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then I introduced myself as, hi, I'm Sienna Stewart, and I'm going to die someday. Spoiler alert, you will too. (laughs) Which kind of sounds like a lighthearted approach to a heavy subject. So yeah, tell us a little bit about your podcast. What's it about? Yeah, I've recently uh, been characterizing my brand as cute and slightly disturbing. (laughs) So it's, and some people were like, well, I don't know if it's cute, but it is light. You know, the idea overall is, I want to be able to change the way that our culture talks about death. Um, Well, first, generally that they don't talk about death, even Mm. though it's going to happen to everyone, Um, Silicon Valley notwithstanding, because they're all about longevity and everything. But, you know, (laughs) I'm like, still, death has a 100% success rate when it comes to humans. So that's just the way that it goes. And overall, like the history of the way that we talk about death in especially modern culture is it's very focused on me, myself, my legacy, my everything, my Mm. will, my whatever. And I've gone through a lot of death experiences and a lot of other people around me, you know, we, we are really aware of the fact that death, one of its greatest impacts is on the people who are left behind. And Mm. if we can change our focus on how we think about death and how we talk about it to the impact on our loved ones, then I think for one, it helps us to get past the mortality difficulty that people have around talking about it. It's harder to talk about your own death Mm. in like, you know, it's very frightening. But if you think about your loved ones and trying to do what is kind for them, trying to do what will help them, what will give them a leg up, like leaving behind something as a gift to them as a way to 
express your love and your kindness, then I think it really changes how we talk about it. And that's kind of the overall focus of the of the podcast and the reason why it's called Dying Kindness. Right, because you're trying to be kind to the people you leave behind right. by all this preparation. Your first episodes I love. Um, I, I like your other episodes too, but it just was a very practical guide of, I guess, what, what you should be doing before you <laughs> die, right? Tell us a bit about those episodes. Yeah, I've discovered that this is my particular niche, is that I want to give people practical tools that they can implement right away. And I also want us to stop thinking of, I'll get to talking about death and making those plans when I get older. You know, this is something for after I retire or whatever. I have known so many people who have died young from, you know, all different ages, different accidents, different diseases. And so I wanted to underscore that in the first episode. So I lead in that first episode with, imagine you are in an accident. Mm -hmm. Because that can literally happen to anybody. And it's by definition unexpected because it's an accident. And so if you were to be in an accident and incapacitated, does anybody know what to do? Do they know what you would want? You know, when a doctor steps in and says, you know, should we administer this medical intervention that has this potential lasting impact? Will anybody, well, first, who would they be talking to? And then, you know, would that person know for sure what you would have wanted. And so that's kind of the premise at the opening. And then after that, I have you imagine then that you actually died. And so once you've died, do people know how to access your bank accounts? Do they know what you would want done with your social media? Do they know like who gets what and who to call and like what to do with your body and all of that kind of stuff? So we go through those things. And I think a lot of people that I've talked with, they feel like the only thing they're supposed to do is a will, because that mm. what is what gets talked about the most often in the movies, because it's actually a very dramatic script moment, the will. Mm. Um, a less dramatic script moment is your advanced directives. But that's the most angst-driven, most anxiety-producing thing for your loved ones is an advanced directive tells people what medical interventions you would want if you are unable to make those decisions for yourself for whatever reason. So, you know, it's like, do you want to be kept alive if you're on a machine? Would you be, agree to an amputation if it would keep you alive? You know, like those kinds of things are very mm -hmm. important to tell somebody else. Because if they make the wrong decision, they're going to be very upset about it. So... Yeah, that's the that's the kind of thing that I talk yeah. about. And this tone that I'm using right now is also in general the tone that I have on the podcast. It's not like, oh, now we are going to talk about <laughs> death and it's all very no, I'm like, there's some practical details that's that we have practical. to handle out there. Yeah. 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 No, I love it. And it's all rings really true, which is how we started talking. Cause I think I think when I talked to you, I just experienced my first sort of close to me person death in my life. And it was completely true. We were completely unprepared. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a family member and, um, it was hard. Uh, already, you're already dealing with something very hard losing a loved one. And along with this comes a mountain of new things, right? All these new terminologies, like you said, a rants directive. I probably, to my shame, I didn't know what that meant <laughs> mm -hmm. like prior to her death, but afterwards, like you're just introduced to all these new concepts that 
you have to figure out right away. And and you're trying to do it at a time. Exactly. Your brain is like completely messed up because you're you're sad. You're grieving that this person has died or is dying. Yeah. It's the worst time in the world yeah. for us to introduce technical information and then ask yeah. you to make a very complex decision. Yeah. Yeah. Then you get mad at the messenger too. It's right. Like, what does all this stuff mean? And like, why do I have to make this decision right now? Right. And you're right. The hardest part is when you don't know what that person wants. Mm-hmm. Then the aftermath is you left with a lot of maybe guilt or just mm-hmm. like wondering, just doubt. was that the right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is terrible. You don't want to do that to your people, yeah. you know? And, and, you know, a lot of people like, oh, I'll get to it later because they're kind of, you know, because they're uncomfortable making those decisions, mm. which I characterize as outsourcing your discomfort. Mm-hmm. So you're just like, I'm too uncomfortable to think about my own stuff. So I'm just going to like wait. And then if something happens to you, then you're just like, well, you're not the one dealing with it. Now somebody you care about is the one dealing with it. And they're experiencing the discomfort just because right. you didn't. That's a, yeah. I'm like, don't do that. Yeah. And I appreciated you saying that in the episode because that, you know, really reframed it for me where it's like, oh, if I don't think about it now, it's very unempathetic to yes. the people that I love and to the people I care about. So if I do really care about them, I better talk about it now and not only talk about it, but plan for it. That's so cool. Uh, first of all, glad you're doing it. Uh, Thank you. It's a very hard, I feel like you're the right person for it too. <laughs> you have the yes. right disposition. So this is a podcast growth hack show. Let's dive into a little bit about your background. How did you get into this and how did you decide to make a podcast? Before we even dive into this, I got to say, this is beautifully produced. It sounds like you're a sound designer, actually. Thank you. Thank so, you. Tell us about your background. I really appreciate that. I am quite obsessive about sound, actually. Um, and I have been for a very long time. So my background is I started working in theater when I was in high school. And then I ended up majoring in theater and then working professionally in theater. And... What is interesting is throughout all of that, sound was actually important to me and it was really unimportant to just about everybody else. (laughs) Like when it comes to sound in the theater, very few people really, really lock into that. But it does make such a huge difference. And in, in fact, I got to be friends with some people who are amazing professional sound designers, some of whom have had like Academy Award nominations and, and wins because I met them in the theater and they noticed that I was somebody who cared about sound. Like, it was so rare that, you know, it's like, who are you? You're asking me, like, interesting sound questions. Mm. So we got to be, you know, friends, and they, like, helped me to really tune my ears and to get much more. They, they, they did amplify my obsessiveness about it, which I will say, if you go too far down that path, it actually delayed me from launching a podcast for a really long time because I was so particular about microphones and quality and editing and I got to learn all the things and you know so Mm -hmm. I I got definitely like perfectionist obstacles in in the way but after I did theater for a while I've had multiple careers and so I I diverged into doing HIV prevention work in the 90s in San Francisco Mm -hmm. which does play into the subject matter of my podcast you know the fact that I was living um, surrounded by people dying all the time for, Mm -hmm. you know, a decade here in Ground Zero, San Francisco. But during that time, I actually got asked to produce a video, a documentary video. And I said, no, you know, I don't do videos. I don't know how to do videos. And they're like, well, you do theater. Why don't you just do a video? 
I was like, <laughs> you don't understand. It's very different, but sure. Um, so I made a video, <laughs> um, co-produced it with somebody else who was actually like knew how to make videos and um, ended up working professionally in documentary film and video for a while after that. Oh, wow. um, yeah. Was that so, documentary about HIV then? That documentary was actually for Chinese and Chinese American lesbians, gays, and bisexuals. And mm. it was the goal of it was to open up a conversation within the Chinese and Chinese American communities. Um, it was produced, it's in Mandarin, Cantonese, and English, actually. Oh, no yeah, I only speak English, another obstacle that was interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, my co producer speaks all three languages as well. Oh. We we did that video. It was it was funded for for HIV money because I discovered that I was running into an obstacle. Like I couldn't talk about HIV without running into homophobia. And so yeah. until I addressed the homophobia, we couldn't even open the conversation about HIV. And there were people who were contracting HIV who were unwilling to come out to their families and so getting really isolated. So that was kind of the the background on that video. And then Later on, much later, I ended up working in some stuff that was for PBS and for Nova and for you know National Geographic Americas. So I got way more grounded in like what it is to make a video for television as opposed to a film festival. Right. Um, and I see some of these uh, influences in your podcast too, because when I first listened to the first two episodes, it had this journalistic type of um, feel to it. Mm -hmm. I think that that I is a lot because I listen to so much NPR. And and so for me, like the people that really inspired me are the ones who are doing a creative take on journalism. So there's a way that you're bringing stories to life and that I actually had to find a personal voice. Um, mm. and, and it took a long time. I'm, I feel like I'm still finding it. And sort of the default easy zone for me was to say, like, I'm reporting on something Mm -hmm. And how do I walk people through that story so that they can learn something along the way? Mm. Um, but yes, it, it is also like, it is a documentary. It's a documentary approach. That's kind of yeah. like how I think, you know, audio documentaries is kind of yeah. this, this structure. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. You live such a colorful life. How did you decide on this subject matter? This subject matter, more than anything, it found me. Um, and I feel like this podcast is me kind of coming out about the fact that I've been surrounded by death my entire life and I think about it a lot and I have already been that friend that other people call, you know, to like, can you help me figure out what I'm supposed to do or can you just sit with me because you don't run away and everybody else I'm worried about, mm. you know, like people don't want to burden their friends with dealing with death and they're worried about especially very emotional people like collapsing or, you know, having to take care of them. They don't have to worry about that with me. They're just like, you know, you come over, you're going to help me because you're, <laughs> you're going to be practical. <laughs> and and also at the same time, grounded and sensitive. Like I am not a, I, I have feelings. Um, <laughs> sometimes they're just really inefficient. So, um, <laughs> so like when it's not my situation and I'm here to support somebody else, you know, I take that focus on. And so I've I've been called in repeatedly in in death and dying situations and so this podcast the whole subject matter comes out of that background and that i mm. use that to inform you know all the different topics the timing of the podcast comes out of the fact that my dad died in 2019 after many years of being ill and uh he 
said that he had his act together, but he really didn't, which we discovered after he died. And it was very stressful. And then um, my stepmother died like five weeks later, and I got mad at my dad because I felt like the stress contributed to her death. And then I was feeling all righteous, and I was driving back from my dad's house in L.A. back to San Francisco, and this like big semi-truck, like, you know, you're driving up Highway 5, there's all these like big trucks on the road. And I suddenly thought, like, if I die, I am leaving behind a mess. I don't have any of my paperwork done, you know, so I'm the real ass here because I'm Mm -hmm. like mad at my dad, but I haven't done it either. So that really just started me down this path of like, what do I have to learn and do? And I wanted to get other people to join me in doing it because that's a lot easier than trying to do something hard by yourself. And then out of that came a Facebook group and out of that came a podcast, basically, because people were like, thank you, Sienna, for helping lead us. And I was like, oh, wait, okay. (laughs) I guess I'm the leader of this now. Yeah. Yeah. I had a podcast before because I, I, for a long time, I had this thing called the No Complaining Project. And I, for about 10 years, was teaching people how to stop complaining and start taking action. Mm. And so I did a podcast coming out of that, one which I hope to revive in the, you know, somewhat predictable future. So I had some, some idea already of like what it means to do a podcast, but the timing on this one was really just like, I really felt compelled like i have information mm-hmm. that i feel like more people need to have and yeah. the podcast felt like exactly the right way to do yeah. it and when you started did you have were you an already an expert or are you kind of still becoming an expert along the way well my my primary expertise is the fact that i'm gonna die so um <laughs> that's you know and i use that to inform that's, everything that's uh, all the my, qualifications you need Totally, totally. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's like how you pre-qualify for doing this work is, you know, that you're mortal. Um, the second qualification is that I love to read and I read a ton. And I'm also pretty good at boiling that stuff down and teaching other people. Like mm. that's actually something that I've had as a job throughout my career is, you know, in whatever field I'm in, I end up being that person that runs a workshop or does mm. a summary presentation or whatever. So I now recognize that, yes, I actually am an expert, but it came through this like, Mm -hmm. oh, I read this really interesting book. Let me tell you about it, you know, and now I'm finally like connecting the dots and doing all of that. So, so yeah, the podcast has made me an expert. Interesting. So you said you're finally connecting the dots. So your intention of starting the podcast was just, was it just kind of to put information out there? But now it seems like that's kind of part of your career. Is it a little bit? It is. It is. It's actually becoming, this is my career. Like the vast majority of what I'm doing and what I'm getting called about is about uh, death and dying. Yeah. That's interesting. And was that the intent in the beginning or just kind of happenstance that? It was, you know, from the beginning, I had made a decision that I did not want to have advertising on my podcast. Hmm. And I made that as a very conscious decision for two reasons. One is I am that person that skips ads on podcasts and I get really annoyed when, especially it's the same, the same ad on all these different podcasts. It makes me completely crazy. And I don't like commercial television for this same reason. Mm. But also secondarily, like when I started, I wanted, I knew that I wanted to have the freedom to criticize whatever I found in the funeral industry if I needed to. Mm. And I had seen enough about how sponsorship can change what or change or limit 
what you feel like you can talk about. And I wanted to be free of that. So I was like, well, if I do this, the energy behind it was I just want to help people. Like, how can I help as many people as possible? A podcast is a great way to do that. It actually still costs money and time to produce a podcast. And so how else can I? And then it also goes with how else can I help people? Because a podcast isn't enough. And so I started offering workshops. And even just talking about workshops, people got really excited about that. So from the beginning, it was a like, well, if I'm going to make money, I'm going to do it through workshops. And that's that's been kind of the way that it's uh, developed. Yeah, that makes sense. It's funny, retroactively, it seems so clear to someone from the outside that it's like, <laughs> yeah, this is a hard subject to talk about. Not a lot of people want to dive into this subject matter. Yeah. And it seems like an open field for some experts to, you know, rise up and have a podcast and become yeah. the expert at it. And yeah. There's very few people. There's very few people yeah. doing this, um, especially in a public way. So, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So tell us about these workshops a little bit. Is there mm -hmm. some kind of lead funnel from getting people from the podcast to these workshops? Yeah, I created a thing. So one of the things that I, I advocate is that you write all this stuff down. You have key decisions that you're supposed to make and you write it all down and you put it into one place that can be easily found. And I named that place your death binder. Mm. And so I talk a lot about having a death binder, doing a death binder, updating your death binder, et cetera. Um, and then as I was going through this, I started developing a death binder template. So like the more that I learned about different things, the more I was like, oh, here's another way that I can help to summarize all the stuff that I'm reading into an easy place for other people. So I created a template and then I made that available for free on my website mm. um, so that you sign up on your e my email list, you get a Deathbinder template for free. And then for a long time, that was all that it was. Like my my growth has been pretty like haphazard in many ways because I'm like, well, <laughs> I have the capacity for this. And so I'm just mm -hmm. going to do this for a while until I have the capacity to do something else. Sure. So, um, so I offered the Deathbinder template for a long time. I said, oh, you're signing up for the newsletter, which I never published. Um, and then uh, occasionally I would like send out something to this list that was like growing. Uh, and then um, and then I started offering workshops and like immediately like the signups were great um, for for my workshops, which was wonderful. Uh, so the first workshop was actually about there's the the Deathbinder template comes in three sections. Um, and the first section I call absolutely essential. So it's basically like if you do nothing else, just do these things. And then the second the section is very important. So it's like, also, if you have time and energy, you should do these other things because that would be very <laughs> important. But that is like for bonus points, basically, the last <laughs> section is, you know, really helpful. Um, so there's more stuff because, because cleaning up somebody's life on this earth is actually a very, very long process. Yeah. And there are many, many parts to it. And so there are... Things that, like, if you don't do it, it'll just cause crazy anxiety, remorse, regret, doubt, whatever, in your loved ones. And that's the absolutely essential part. Um, mm -hmm. It includes mm -hmm. some legal stuff. Really important is, like, wow, that'll really, really help them. You know, they may still have some big feels if you don't, if they don't know what you want here. And the last part is just, like, oh, also, they're going to be dealing with all of this stuff, mm -hmm. you know, so help them out. So the first workshop I gave was on... Uh, I called it Binder Dash, and it was a three-hour thing to just get through the essentials, mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. just 
learn more, be able to ask questions like we're going to do a little bit of work. It's not really going to be enough time to finish doing the essentials, but it's mm-hmm. going to be enough that you can get started and I'm around so you can ask questions. Yeah. Um, That's so and, awesome, actually. How, are these in-person workshops? I'm doing my first in-person workshop in two weeks, actually. Um, and the the first ones were all online. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that, because of pandemic and all. I mean, yeah. it seems like it's such a... I don't know if easy business is the right word to say, but there's got to be so many of these organizations, you know, homes Mm -hmm. and things like that, that could use a workshop. Like how much is a workshop for a student? So I did, depending on, I learned a really cool trick. So anybody who's doing workshops out there, um, I took a class from this guy named George Cow, and he talks about how to do authentic business. Hmm. And when I took his class, He had this three-tiered ticketing structure that I really appreciated. Mm -hmm. And the tiers all gave you exactly the same thing. (laughs) That sounds very authentic. It's very authentic. But (laughs) but basically, and actually, I was also, I took took a class from uh, Mark Silver from The Heart of Business. And he he's the one who actually had this three-tiered structure as well that really, like, gave me the best language for Hmm. some of it. Okay. So... There's a price that's like your standard ticket, which is a sustainable price. So like if everybody bought at that price, we could do this workshop all good, hmm, you know. Interesting. Um, and that's sort of like what people would name as your standard ticket price. And then there's another price, which I've named the gratitude price. And that is almost always like double the other ticket price. And then there's a minimum price, which is like, I just want everybody to do this work. So just show up and do the work. Like I needed to get paid something. And so here you go. But what's been interesting is I've had almost every time, like people Hmm. just buy in at every tier and almost an even split so far. Oh, interesting. Which has been kind of a really interesting experiment. So So if I could repeat that. So basically it's name your own price, Mm -hmm. except with some suggested prices at each tier. They're actually fixed prices at each tier. They're fixed prices at each tier, but the lowest yeah. price is free. Uh, depending okay. on which workshop. So for the for the binder dash, um, mm-hmm. what I did was a sustainable price of sixty, and a minimum price of twenty, and a gratitude price of a hundred. Oh, okay. <clears throat> and there's nothing extra you get with gratitude price other than just they're being a little bit more generous. Yep. And people yep. choose that. Yep. And I explain it as like the sustainable price means that this workshop is going to be paid for. The gratitude price Mm. means that you recognize I give so much away for free, like the podcast and the template and all this kind of stuff. And you would like to say thank you and keep all of that other stuff going and help me expand this workshop. Yeah. And the minimum price is like, you just have to show up. I've also discovered that people often, if it's free, don't show up. Yeah, it's funny because I am generally a pretty generous person too, but um, I think charging for something helps mm-hmm. preserve your time. <laughs> yes. And I've just had, you know, like when I've done death cafes and stuff that, you know, if it's a free ticket, people are less inclined to like make an extra effort. Yeah. You know, like, What's oh, a death well, cafe? Was... Oh, so a death cafe, I didn't invent that title. Hmm. Um, uh, this is actually a pre-existing thing. It's cool because... It's just a time and a place where people are open to talking about death. Oh, okay. Um, And there's not really a particular structure around Mm. it. There's two main 
conversation structure things out in the world. One is this death cafe and the other one is less, let's talk about death over dinner. Hmm, interesting. Both of them. And is it usually for people grieving or just no format or? No format no. whatsoever. So um, people might be grieving. They may just want to come in and talk about stuff. I just did one last week hmm. and um, two women showed up who had both lost their husbands about a year and a half prior um, and had met through a grief group. And they came not because they wanted to grieve, but because they wanted to like vent about the medical process. And they really needed to have a place that was yeah. like safe for them to um, talk about that experience. And so like the, they, they don't generally have that. Most of the, their friends either haven't gone through it or don't really know what they're talking about. So, And how did you tell people about this event? That one was advertised through my newsletter. Um, okay. And through the website. Yeah. I see. But you said there's other death cafes in different cities? In the things? world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's actually a, there's a book on death cafes. Um, I see. And, and how are they generally found? Is there like deathcafe.com or something? Or You know, I have no idea. There, uh, there isn't. I don't think that there's a deathcafe.com. It's just, it was created as a decentralized thing. It was basically like, hey, we should all be having these conversations. Mm. Not enough people are having them. Sponsor one in your, in your town. So um, people just do them, you know, and same thing with the, there's a book called Let's Talk About Death Over Dinner. And that one mm -hmm. actually has a little bit more of a format in the book. They, they have a structure that they suggest and, that, you know, it's like no more than six people and you can start it with this kind of a question and all that kind of stuff. Um, but both of them are very self-directed so that anybody can do it. I see. And going back to your events, uh, your mm -hmm. workshops, how often are you having these workshops? Fine question. So the idea is I want to be doing at least a binder dash a quarter. Mm, okay. I also started a new series workshop called Death the Basics, mm -hmm. so, which was unhooked from the template, but is covering a like a wider swath of things. And so that one I did for the first time this year. It's uh, once a week for six weeks. Oh, and wow. so I did it January into mid-February. And then I'm offering it again in April and I'll probably do that one three or four times a year. So that's the series workshop. I see. I want so it sounds like the binder dash that's leads into this, uh, six weeks workshop then. Binder yes and dash no. is like a one it's day the, workshop, I take it. It's a three hours. The yeah. three hour one day. Yeah. 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 Um, and that one, it's a standalone. So like none of them really lead into, they all kind of like some cover the same, there's some overlap, but oh, they're, okay. they're actually kind of different. You know, I wanted to create different levels of commitment and different kinds of interest because I know that people have so many different ways that they're comfortable with this. And it's not like a linear progression of learning about death. So I'm also uh, going to be offering completely one-off standalone workshops on like one is write your own obituary. Um, and the, there's another one that's going to be just on advanced directives. I'm going to do another mm. thing that's on um, managing your digital legacy. So like how, like what happens to your online presence after you die. Mm -hmm. Um, and so each of those are going to be extremely topical. People might only sign up for that one thing and not anything else. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. There is going to be retreats in the future too. It's going to be like <laughs> nice. a two day version of death, the basics basically. Got yeah. it. That's. That's super cool. I want to hear how those go. Um, going back to your podcast, this is, seems like such a hard topic to cover still. 
And it seems like an even harder topic to keep people engaged because mm. it seems like after they learn the things or they maybe after they learn that you're the expert and then they take a couple workshops, they might fall off. Um, I think that's probably why you don't think about download numbers too, too much. Mm -hmm. Are you starting to think, oh, how do I keep listeners? Part of this question is I also noticed uh, you're starting to talk about other things too, not just the practicalities, but like mm -hmm. how to live a better life. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of like science and things like that. Is that sort of why you're doing that or? Yeah, yes and basically. So mm -hmm. when I first started the podcast, one of the things, you know, people were like, aren't you going to run out of topics? And I'm like, well, mm -hmm. actually, once you start talking about death, you kind of end up talking about everything. And the kind of, I knew that I wanted to do a lot of different episodes that were informed by the kinds of things you have to think about when you're filling out this paperwork. Like, it's not just um, a check the box kind of situation because even the decision on like whether or not you want life-sustaining treatment goes to what do you think makes life worth living? Hmm. And so then that opens up, can we have a conversation about what is a meaningful life? And so like, maybe I can do an episode on that. Like, what's, what does it mean to have hmm. a purposeful life? Um, choosing who is going to be your healthcare agent goes into a conversation about who do you trust and mm. what do you want them to do and like how do you leave yourself um, open and vulnerable to other people. And so like every one of these topics kind of just unfolded into another one. Um, mm. And then there's also things like, you know, the decision on what you want done with your body really for a lot of people that's about, you know, it, it touches on a sense of family or a sense of history. For other people, it's uh, all about like the environmental impact of how whatever body disposition you choose. Um, talking about uh, body disposition can get us into talking about legislation around cemeteries, which can then get us into talking about <laughs> the history of cemeteries yeah. being segregated, you know. And so like mm. all of these different things, they're sort of falling under this general rubric, you know. And so I when I started the podcast, like I was joking about how like I am never going to be somebody's favorite podcast. Mm. And I, I just kind of like, I just wrote that off as like, that's not ever going to be my metric. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And I don't really expect anybody to like listen and wait for every episode. Like, you know, there's some <laughs> yeah. podcasts where you like, I have to have it daily or I know that it drops on Thursday or whatever. And right. it's just going to be like, this is, I have to, I have to listen to it because like my livelihood depends on it or my well-being or my ability to understand what's happening in the world or whatever. I'm like, I'm never going to be that person. Like, you mm. know, I structured it consciously to say, I, I expect people to cherry pick the topics that they need mm. to have right now. And so an individual episode may be somebody's entree into the whole thing, or maybe they only need that one episode. What has surprised me is that now I actually have had a couple of people tell me that it is their favorite podcast, <laughs> um, which is really surprising. <laughs> now, granted, it is primarily people who are in the death space I in see. some way mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I'm talking about things in a different way. I'm talking about things mm -hmm. in a lighter, more accessible way. Um, but then, you know, one time I released an episode that I full on like, I was like, I don't even know why I'm recording this one. I just feel like I want to talk about it and it doesn't seem related to anything, but whatever. You know, one of the <laughs> things about 
being able to die well and be kinder to the, your people is figuring out how to age well. Hmm. Because if you take care of your body, if you take care of your mind, you know, you actually need less care or you're less of a burden or you're sure. not as, you're not as angry, you know? <laughs> right. Um, and so I had done a, a big hike and I had decided to bring hiking poles and, you know, it felt like, oh, this is me conceding that I'm getting older and my knees are getting worn out. And so, you know, I'm going to have to do this, but I was so glad that I had the hiking poles because it actually let me do a longer hike, which was good for me in so many ways. And, um, and I felt better and like, you know, just, just like it was a, a good thing to do. So I did an episode called In Praise of Hiking Poles. Um, <laughs> and it was overall about coming to terms with an aging body and treating it well. And so that I can age well and do things like be outside longer and whatever. And I've had a couple of people actually call out that particular episode as the one that made them feel like, oh, we are about to get into something very different and more meaningful mm. in this podcast overall. It is not just about paperwork. We're going to go into right. all kinds of stuff, you know. I, and I did another episode called What is a Good Death? Because people often say like, oh, I want to have a good death. And I'm like, I don't have any idea what that means to you. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah. Now that it, you explain it, I could see it. There's all these other tangents that is, mm -hmm. uh, seems tangential, but very relevant to the overall subject. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people have been dying since they've been alive. So um, we have a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I'm trying to decide right now if we should talk about some of the other work you do around death, like uh, the death doula thing. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to get into that a little bit? Sure, sure. So death doulas are a new thing that has emerged that basically to kind of fill the gaps of what people experience when they go through the dying process or when somebody around them is dying. Um, and it is an uncredentialed it's like a consistent definition you know like when well, like when life coaches uh, emerge like there's all different kinds of life coaches and some people just give themselves the title and some people actually go through some kind of like credentialing training you know process um and being a doula is kind of similar in that there are people who who take it on as a calling you know usually it's somebody who's gone through a death had some terrible experience and want to make things better for other people um, and so, so there was actually a couple of people who praised me and thanked me for doing doula work. And I was like, I don't call mm. myself a death doula. Um, like, what are you talking about? Mm. But because I do the work of creating spaces for other people to talk about and ask questions of death and to have their experience be better, I'm like, oh yeah, actually, technically that is a lot of what it means to be a doula. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, for me, the differentiation is, am I willing to do it for an individual person or family in the moment when they're actually going through something? And, you know, that's, it's a bit of a debate. I've, as you can hear, I'm like, I'm on my own here and I'm doing a lot of different stuff. And so the decision to take on individual clients in that way is actually kind of intense. Um, and I have done it. Um, I'm in the middle of doing it right now. I'm still in process with one group of people for a very intense death. And, uh, it's one that's going to go on for a long time because it's also going to have some, um, 
visibility in the media. It has already had some visibility in the media and we're, we're continuing to have to manage it. And so that experience is letting me know like, whew, I'm not sure that I'm ready to do this <laughs> on the regular. Yeah. Um, there are some people who really like that's what lights them up is to do that for individual families. Mm. And so they, they front and center that they are death doulas and that's like what they love doing. Um, for me, it's much more of a, like, in certain circumstances, I am the right person to do mm. that. Most of the time, it would be better for me to refer somebody else to do that mm. so that I can continue doing the workshops and the podcast and mm. all of the other stuff. That's so interesting. There's, um, yeah, what an interesting niche and so much opportunity around this. I hate to say it like <laughs> yeah. describing it like a business, but I know, I know it's really crazy. I'm like, and there's also really uncomfortable things. It was funny. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who's a minister and he's like, so one of the very difficult things that he had to get used to for his job mm -hmm. was like, first, it's always funny to talk to him because it's a job and he has like personnel management issues and all of that <laughs> kind of stuff as a minister. But one of the things he had to get used to is that um, he is really nourished when somebody is going through a hard time and turns to him for help. Mm. But it it means that somebody has to be going through a hard time. Right. Someone you has know? to suffer for him to be nourished. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, that's when you really shine, you know? Like, that's why I'm here. <laughs> or fact, um, that's why you exist. Yeah. And so I've been kind of, like, uncomfortable and also very upfront about the fact that, like, my friend who, so the death doula uh, role that I'm filling in right now is for a friend of mine who died and having my friend die in this way that was really sudden and public has been really good for business, like, mm -hmm. which is a very weird and uncomfortable thing to say, yeah. but it's also true. Like I was, you know, I've had many people come up to me and say like, oh, I am now recognizing that I don't have all the time in the world to wait. But like, mm -hmm. really, people can die at any age. And I'm like, yes, actually, people can die at any age. So people like signing up for workshops and asking me for help and all of that kind of stuff. And it's all about really reflecting back on, you know, that that this thing happened in our community. Um, so, yeah, it is a business. I actually have a hard time thinking of it as a business. And that's yeah. kind of like the, the bigger struggle that I have because my mm. goal is like, how can I help as many people as possible? This is really important. Let's change yeah. the world. And then, and then I'm like, wait a minute, I still need to pay rent and I still need <laughs> to like, you know, pay for my internet and yeah. food and things like that. And the push for me is actually to think more like a business. Yeah. No, I believe if anyone could do it, they'd be you. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned not a lot of people are doing this. Um, I mean, this sounds like the perfect sort of subject for like a TED talk. Have you ever thought of doing something like that? Yeah, I have. I'd love to do a TED talk. Actually, that would be that would be a great thing. I just haven't gone through and actually like tried to find a placement for that. Yeah, you should. It seems like the type of thing that would, you know, kind of go viral a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I went around and around for a while with trying to figure out the name for this podcast. And I was focusing eventually very much on like, what is it that I'm trying to do and what makes it different? And I wanted to have a name that wasn't like all the other names, you know, all at the same time. And landing on dying kindness and sort of just really underscoring that like, this is about changing the focus to, you know, thinking about the people that you'll leave behind. Like, oh, suddenly I have actually defined something that nobody else is really doing. 
And that would, I would love to be able to do that as a TED Talk because I, you know, like specifically how uh, we think about death in this way, like needs to change and Mm -hmm. like how we can change and make the whole world better by focusing on that instead, especially in the Western world. Like we need to not be so self-focused. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Well, when you finally get your TED Talk, let me know. Um, I will. I will. I'll credit you. I'll be like, yeah, it's probably somebody who's listening to this show is going to be like, why don't you just do a TEDx in my town? I'm like, great, I'll do that. So if you're producing a TEDx in your town, invite me. I'll, I'll come to wherever you are. <laughs> that would be cool. Um, and I'm sure there's a good one. You're in SF, right? I am. All right. Yeah. Well, cool. I've taken up a ton of your time. Thanks for sharing about your Absolutely. podcast. Um, Thank you. I always end uh, all my interviews with our final five questions. These are just meant to be kind of fun and fast. Um, I think I already know the answer for question number one, which is do you collect listener emails? Yes, I do. Um, well, not listener emails. I have a, the uh, email list and I direct people through the template. I see. And is your lead magnet the... Um... Yeah, the Deathbinder template. And that Deathbinder, is it a physical binder or is it... It will be. That's actually that's actually the next thing I'm going to be producing, physical binders that people can order through a shop. So it's mostly just going to be like a binder cover and tabs and then a printable list of things that you can put on the inside because that has to be able to expand and contract. Um, but but yes, there will be a physical binder. And all the stuff that you mentioned, we're going to put on the show notes and that's mm-hmm. on the website. Yeah. All right. Um, question two, do you promote each new episode? No. <laughs> Fair enough. Maybe, maybe should. Um, yeah, I, I the, the pause was because it's like, I should be. And I have recently, somebody is volunteering to help me. So we are going to be doing more on Instagram. Mm-hmm and on youtube and there will be some promotion there cool uh and there's no should that's why i asked the question i don't know i don't know the answer for that it's true maybe no should yeah, <laughs> like whatever you know <laughs> uh cool question three how much time do you spend producing each episode depending on if it's an interview pod an episode or a solo episode but usually the episodes are the the solo episodes are somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 minutes in the final and i can spend as much as four to six hours screwing around doing that the the shortest amount of time that i've spent is probably two hours to clean up a 15 minutes yeah that's just the edit but like the scripting and all that stuff yeah yeah no it's including including the scripting and because because i do i like i talk it out so I have this whole process now where I, I tend to talk it out and then go into Descript and then massage it and then re-record it if I need to, which is most of the time, because I'll use it, that as a like a template for how I'm going to think about it. And then I'll record it and then I will go ahead and edit that in Descript, bring it into Audition, clean it up, re-put it back out and then, you know, do it that way. So mm-hmm. um, and then it's way worse if I have an interview, like interviews are just days of <laughs> of work for me but i you know because i never i never leave them alone i tend to do long interviews and short episodes which is actually um something that i've pitched to help teach people at podcasting conferences because Mm. i I want to have the freedom to interview people who are not used to being interviewed and a lot Mm. of times that means a lot more massaging of their quotes or warming them up or that kind of thing yeah they're Um, a lot more complex why not describe for the whole workflow just out of curiosity? Why, why bringing it onto? Into audition? Yeah. So I have gotten very hooked on certain filters and stuff in audition. So there's a way that the sweetening, when you talked about like the quality of the sound, mm-hmm. um, it is that the 
you know, and some of it is I, when I first started with the Descript, it didn't have nearly as much editing capabilities as it does now, but I tend to like for quality of sound to mm. be working in Audition and to, to use that to balance levels, but also to take out mouth clicks and to take out any sort of extra hum or hiss in the background and just clean it up to, to make it sound a lot better. Mm. Yeah, not to go through workflow too much, but mm -hmm. would it be a valid workflow to clean up the sound in Audition first, then bring it to Descript? Oh yeah, actually, that's what that is what I do, especially if it's a if it's an interview. Um, oh, okay. So yes, the I forget the first pass. I do the big sound cleanup for the raw file in Audition, bring it back Got into it. Descript, edit the thing down, and then come back and make sure that it's all balanced and everything in Audition. I yeah. see. Okay. That's cool. And maybe you answered question number four, which is the favorite tool you use to produce or market your podcast? Yeah, that and I've gotten super, super hooked on. I really love it. And I am also in love with a lot of Descript and find it makes a lot of things very helpful, easy to work with. Cool. And the last question, what's your primary call to action at the end of each episode? It is to go to, actually, my primary call of action is to please share this episode with somebody who you think needs it. Mm. And then I point people back to dyingkindness.com and say you can get the transcripts and the template and everything else there. Well, there you have it, folks. If you like this episode and if you like what Sienna had to say, everybody could use her podcast because every one of us are dying. <laughs> so mm -hmm. go check out her podcast. Dying Kindness in your favorite podcast player and go check out our website dyingkindness.com Thanks for being here. Thank you very much. This was really fun. Thanks for listening to Podcast Growth Hacks. If you like the show, please tell a fellow podcaster about it. This really does help keep our show going. Until the next episode, keep creating and keep growing your show.